We're going to go ahead and look at our, our passage this morning, which is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 22. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 22. Here it is. Make every effort to come to me soon, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me, and may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together as a church family in your presence to hear your words and to respond to those words in trust and obedience and worship, Lord. And uh, we're here to hear everything that it is that you have for us here today, Lord. I pray that you would meet with us, that we would know that you are standing with us here today by your spirit, and you would help us to grow. You would help us to mature. You would give us eyes to see. You would give us spiritual life and strength through Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Um, so we are finishing uh, a series this morning in the book of 2 Timothy um, in the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And we've titled this series, uh, Vintage, Season Words uh, to the Church. Why did we title uh, this series uh, Vintage, Seasoned Words uh, to the Church? Well, it's because Paul was a seasoned man at this point uh, in his life. The guy who wrote this book, uh, he was a seasoned man. I, uh, after the service uh, last Sunday, went home, had lunch, and uh, cut a bunch of firewood. And I did that because, as you know, you need to prepare for the winter, and the wood is green right now, so you've got to cut it, split it, stack it so that it'll be seasoned. It'll be ready uh, when, when, uh, when it starts getting cold. Yeah, wood that isn't seasoned is green. And a seasoned person isn't green in life anymore. And uh, they have matured in life. So Paul was roughly uh, 60 years uh, old at this point. Yeah, he was over uh, 60 years at this point. And uh, he was a very seasoned Christian. He had been a Christian for several decades. He was a very seasoned pastor. He started a whole bunch of churches. He raised up a bunch of leaders and other pastors in those churches. He had a church network all throughout the Roman Empire. He made many disciples and saw many people 
come to believe in the Lord Jesus, he was, he was a serious man. He was like the leader in the early church. I uh, watch a show called Homestead Rescue. Has anybody, anybody seen that show? Yeah. It, it's about a family who rescue, they, they, they rescue other uh, struggling homesteaders. So this is family, a father and, and a daughter and son, and they go and help uh, these homesteaders that are, that are failing, right? And on one episode, the, uh, the father of the family, Marty Rainey, yeah, that's one of my heroes, Marty Rainey, right? He shows everyone his hands, and his hands look like some serious sandpaper. They are all calloused and cracked, and it just looks like that man has been working every spare minute uh, of, his, of his life just with his bare hands. Paul, in this passage, these final instructions of his to, to Timothy, is showing us his hands, right? We're getting a glimpse of his hands and his resume as, as a man, as a Christian, and there's a lot of calluses, right? They, they look uh, very rough. Paul is a beautiful example of what it looks like to be a seasoned Christian, a mature Christian. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? Don't you, as a Christian, want to grow and mature and develop and to follow Christ and become more like him? This is the goal of the Christian life. So what goes into that? This passage gives us some beautiful glimpses, an example of what goes into being a seasoned Christian. And the first thing we're going to look at is humanity. Humanity. Recognizing and embracing your humanity. What does that mean? What does it mean? Here's what it means. Paul was a real person. Did you not feel that in this passage? Look what it says in verse 13. When you come, he's talking to Timothy here, come and visit him. He was in jail for preaching Jesus. When you come, bring the, coat, uh, the cloak I left in uh, Troas with Carpus. He's like, bring my jacket, please. Uh, as well as the, the scrolls, especially the par parchments. Understanding who you are as a human being is one of the biggest issues of our current moment as a culture. This is the, one of the biggest, this is where the battle, we talked about this last week. This is where the battle rages in our society, in our culture. What, what, what are we as, as human beings? And what you think about humanity determines what you think you need in life. What do you really need in life? I want you to think about it. What do you really need uh, in life? And you know, people have uh, sought to answer that question all throughout history. Uh, there's a guy, his name was Abraham Maslow. He was a psychologist many, many years ago. And um, he, he's famous for um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, maybe, maybe if you've had any basic uh, class in psychology or if you've ever went to a counselor or something, uh, they may have come from this perspective. I think I have a picture of it. Here, here's Maslow's hierarchy uh, of needs, right? And he believed that certain basic needs needed to be met in your life before you could really feel like you were a human being, before you really feel like you're uh, alive. Uh, and it makes sense, things like food, Safety, love, self-esteem. Now, he got a lot of things wrong. Um, but what he did get right is we got needs, don't we? We have a lot of uh, real needs uh, in our life. As human beings, we are very needy uh, people. 
But uh, Maslow, yeah, he didn't know why. He didn't know why we had those needs or where they come from or what was the purpose of them all. He was influenced by philosophers who thought there was no meaning to life. So that pyramid, that hierarchy is utterly meaningless. It doesn't matter if you climb to the top or not. Because this is, this, these were his influences. But our passage today gives us a window into the truth about humanity and what we truly need. Paul says, bring the cloak. In other words, hey, I left my winter coat back there. Will you please gla- grab my winter cl- uh, coat and uh, bring that to me? Now, what's going on here? This is really profound. All right, brace yourself for this. Paul was cold. Paul was cold. Yeah, that's what's going on. Winter. Cold weather reminds us that we are frail human beings. We will die out here uh, without coats and stuff. We need winter coats. Cold weather reminds us that we are needy and uh, dependent upon God for everything in our life. And Paul knew that. Paul trusted God. Paul trusted God that someone was going to bring him a coat, hopefully that God would work through Timothy to bring him his jacket. Embracing your humanity means embracing your dependence upon God for everything. We just sang that. God, give us our, our daily bread. But Maslow did not have this God anywhere in this period. Do you see the creator God of Israel anywhere on there, Jesus or anything like that, the resurrection from the dead? It's not on there. Right? He didn't have it on there because he was a, he was a humanist uh, psychologist, which is not embracing our humanity. It's actually human beings trying to become deity. You see that? It's human beings climbing this uh, thing to the top to where we're God at the top and we can be whoever we want to be. And this is precisely the, the problem of our time. This, this is what Abraham Maslow said about humanity. He said, what a man can be, he must be. What does that mean? What a man can be, he must be. That leaves it open to whatever. I mean, if I want to be an eagle, according to that definition, I can be an eagle. I can soar across Morgan County. I can have the eagle powers, right? I can have the eagle powers and just soar and build a nest here in Morgan County because I can be whatever I want to be. No. We can only be what God created us to be. That's it. We can only be the people that God uh, created us to be. My wife, Audrey, uh, has been growing uh, seeds to plant in in our garden. She came up, she got these boxes with lights in it and everything, is growing the seeds uh, to plant in the garden. And I convinced her a couple weeks ago, let's go ahead and plant those things. I was looking at the weather. Go ahead and plant them. It's like, if it gets cold, we'll cover them up. Everything will be all all right. And uh, they all died last week. And it's my fault. I take complete uh, responsibility for it. Uh, We still have some more uh, uh, left that we're going to plant, but they died. Can I give you guys some gardening advice? Probably don't want it at this point, do you? Don't do that. Don't do what I just did. Yeah, I learned a good lesson. Here's my point. Things work a certain way in this world. The frost kills vegetables. That's the way the world works. Humanity also works in a certain way. We just can't do whatever we, uh, we want to do. Veggies and frost is like humanity without God. 
We, we shrivel up and we die. Being a human being means being absolutely dependent upon God for everything. And that's what it looks like to be seasoned. That's the Apostle Paul, trusting God, being dependent upon him. Um, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 6, he said, don't worry about your life because you have a heavenly father who will take care of you. And he's going to provide for your food and your clothing. He's going to take care of you. You have a heavenly father. Don't be anxious is what he said. And what kind of father is God? Jesus said he's a heavenly father. What kind of father is he? He's the kind of father who gives us his best. I want to show you this. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Look at this. How will he also not grant us everything? You see that? Right? This is, this is what's called an argument from the greater to the lesser. God gave us Jesus. He didn't even spare us the biggest and the best and the greatest thing in the world. I'm pretty sure we're going to be all right. If he gave us Jesus, he's that type of father, we ought to just not doubt him and just trust him and just be dependent uh, upon him. He has met our greatest need. He spared no expense, but gave up his son for us all. Your greatest need is to be saved from your sin. And worry is one of those. Anxiety is one of those sins because Jesus says, don't do that. I command you. Don't be anxious and don't worry. God the Father has provided for this need by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, who was crucified for you and in your place on the cross, was dead, buried, is resurrected from the dead to deliver you from the slavery of worry and fear. Now, how does that work? How does a cross and an empty tomb set you free from worry and anxiety? Here's how. If you believe it, if you really believe it, here's what it means. You have a heavenly father. That's kind of a game changer. A heavenly father that says, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, I'm going to look out for you. God has proven that he knows how to take care of his people by the cross. The cross is proof that God is a loving, caring, heavenly father because he gave us our greatest need. He's met our greatest need. I'm sure he can take care of uh, whether we have food or not or clothing or not. But he also sets us free from worry and anxiety and, and lack of contentment by clarifying exactly what we need. Okay? He does it a second way. He clarifies what our needs really are. So let me circle back. What do you really need? What do you really need in life? Look at this. Bible, the Bible tells us all these things. If not, we got to go to Maslow to figure it out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. How about you? Food and clothing. That's shocking, right? He didn't mention a house. He didn't mention electricity. He didn't mention internet. Well, what about my side-by-side? -side? Um, <laughs> what about uh, all my streaming uh, video and, and, and everything else? Um, and all my animals. 
Here's what we need. We need something to eat and we need a winter coat. But here's what I know about everyone in this room. You have way more than that, don't you? You have way more than food and clothing. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what that means. Here's what that means. Your heavenly father is very good. And he is very generous. He goes above and beyond. He is generous to us. And here's why God does that. Here's why God spreads his blessings and spreads his provision so broad and so wide is so that you might be a blessing. So that you might take your daily bread, which is overflowing, and share it with other people and to be a blessing to other people. Look, look what it says in Psalm 37, uh, verse 25 and 26. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread, and neither have I. See, listen, God provides for our needs. I have never seen the righteous begging for bread, right? And he goes on to talk about the righteous here. The righteous person, he is always generous, and he's always lending. Look at this. Even his children are a blessing. Do you see that? That the righteous person, a person who's mature and seasoned, dependent upon God, is generous. Got so much I can give it away. Matter of fact, my children are giving stuff away. They're a blessing. My children are even giving God's blessings to other people. A mature Christian is constantly growing in dependence upon God and their generosity towards other people. And giving... Giving of our income and our resources is one of the main ways that we love and bless other people, especially giving to the local church, right? Especially give, does it matter if we talk about that for a second? Can we talk about giving to the local church? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care if I got permission or not. How about that? Now, you, you're probably here for the first time. You're thinking, man, I came up in here, and they're already talking about giving to the local church. We don't want any of your money. All right, we've probably talked about this, I could count, on one, uh, one hand uh, throughout the life of our church since we started in 2020. Uh, we're, we're not one of those churches, but we do want to be obedient to what the scriptures say. So the Bible does tell us to give generously to the mission of the local church. Now, why would God tell us to do that? Why would he tell us to do that? Here's why. Because what we're doing right now in this moment is the most important thing in the world. We are proclaiming and declaring the resurrected Lord Jesus over all of reality. Is there anything more important than that? There isn't. So it's a worthy investment. Sounds like it's a worthy cause. I want to show you where it says this in the, in the, in the Bible. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Apostle Paul says, Now about the collection, the collection of money for the saints. Do the same as I've instructed the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, by the way. All right, the early church, beginning with Jesus' resurrection, always worshiped on Sunday to commemorate his resurrection. Each of you is to set aside and save in keeping with how he's prospering so that no uh, collections will be made when I come. So uh, catch it here. This was the, apostle, uh, the apostles' um, instruction in all the churches. Right? Well, you missed it there. He said, this is uh, about the collection for the saints. Do the same as instructed the Galatian churches. Right? So this is what I taught in all the churches. That 
On Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we are to give to the ministry of the church. And uh, when they mention this, when they instruct us to do this in the, in the New Testament, they always mention three things, right? That is, we are to give cheerfully, we are to give sacrificially, and we are to give frequently, that is often. Why do you think the Holy Spirit tells us to give um, frequently? Why would he tell us to do that? Here's why, because it means God first. God first in my life. That's what Jesus said. Right after he said, hey, uh, don't worry, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm going to take care of all these needs, right? And, and one of the ways that we seek first the kingdom is we give frequently, we give often uh, to the ministry of the church. Why give cheerfully? Why should we give cheerfully? Why would we not? God gave us Jesus. Why would we not give to the ministry of the church so that more and more people in the church might be built up, more and more people might hear about Jesus? It's a joy to give. It's a joy to give. And why would we give sacrificially? Well, let me ask you this. Is it really mature to do as little as possible? Is that mature? Let me just do as little as possible, even though God gave me as much as possible. No, mature people want to give as much as, the, as much as they can. You know, God commanded Israel, the nation of Israel, to give roughly 10% of their income to further the ministry or the worship of God uh, in the people there. It's actually, it's actually probably double the 10%. We'll just go with 10%. How about that? Um, so, if you're not giving 10% of your income to the ministry uh, of the church, then it's time to start. Right? It's time to step out by faith and trust God that he really, he really uh, can provide for you, really can uh, take care of you. He will. He will do it. He will do it. But mature people, those of you who are already, already doing this, those of you who are working towards maturity uh, in this area ought to be asking Right? How can I give more? Right? And here's why. God has given us way more of his grace, way more of his kindness, way more of his love than he did to the nation of Israel. He gave us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ought we not to give more than 10%? Something to think about. Right? So a mature, seasoned person, I'm going to take this back to the jacket, right? the winter coat depends upon God for everything and is looking and seeking to be constantly generous in all kinds of uh, ways. So the second thing uh, that we need uh, that goes into being seasoned and mature is company. We need company in our life. Look, look at what Paul says here in verse, verse 9. Make every effort. And he's talking to Timothy. He, he's lonely, locked up. Make every effort to come to me. Soon. Paul was in jail knowing he was going to die. What's on his mind? People. Jesus and people. That's what's on Paul's mind. And if you've ever been locked up, you know that's what's on your mind. Your people, your family, your relationships, your commissary, if you have any food uh, in the jail. Paul lists 15 different companions of his in this passage. That's wild, isn't it? He lists, that's what all these names are about. These are all his companions and his friends. You know, the word companion, that's not a word that we use a lot, is it? Companion. 
I looked up the, the origin of the word companion. Here's what it means. It means someone you break bread with. Isn't that cool? The word companion, the origin of that is someone you break bread with. Now tie that together with humanity and what it means to be a human being. That is, God provides you with daily bread to break it with other people. To have company in your life and to break it with each other. And who are these companions of the Apostle Paul? Look, look at verse 19 through 21. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Greet Erastus. He has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Paul wasn't able to heal everybody. See that? This great healer. Make every effort uh, to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Household uh, in the New Testament can also mean church. He says that there in verse um, 19. Greek, Prisca, and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. So in other places, household can also mean church. And he says here at the end in verse 21, greet all the brothers and sisters. So Paul's companions were his brothers and sisters in Christ up in the church. You see that? These were his companions. These were his people. Remember, we are wrapping up and we're listening to the last words of a dying man who was very seasoned and very mature. And what is he talking about as most important to him? What's coming out of his heart? What are we getting a glimpse into, into this man's life? It is his church companions. So, this is what it looks like to be seasoned. A mature Christian, a mature person loves the people that Jesus died and bled for. This is what Jesus commanded us to do. John 15, verse 12, he puts it like this. This is Jesus. This is my command. I want, just look at those four words for a second. Jesus, who is Lord over all of reality, he says, I have all authority in heaven and earth, says, this is my command. That is, no excuses, right? This is not advice that he's given us, a suggestion. Love one another as I have loved you. This is what we're called to do. There's a Corona beer commercial uh, with Snoop Dogg and Andy Sandberg, and they're on the beach. And uh, they're rapping. Right, they're doing a little hip-hop. And uh, they're, dropping, they're dropping these bars. Right? And uh, Snoop Dogg says, a corona and palm trees. Andy Sandberg says, a corona and calm seas. Snoop Dogg says, and a bomb breeze. Sandberg says, and some long knees, strong like a tongue squeeze. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But uh, anyway, they're, they're there on the beach, two chairs set up, and it is. It's a calm uh, seas and the breeze and the palm trees. It's just beautiful. Right, what is that commercial getting at? What is it appealing to? When you look at that, here's what you think. Man, that looks good. All right, that looks like the life, right? I know if I was sitting there, you know, with Snoop Dogg hanging out. You know, Snoop doesn't have to be there. But if I was just hanging out there on the beach, Right? Maybe with a corona, maybe not. Probably with a lime, though, if I did have one. Just relaxing. Right? I'd be like, this is the life right here. This is all right. But 
Paul's, li- Paul's list of these people, what he's saying here is this is the life. These people, these companions of mine, this is what life is really all about. Right? Loving your church folks. This is life. Let me ask you a question. What keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from truly loving each other? This passage tells us. Look at it in verse 10. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Look at this. We got it. He says, Timothy, come to me soon. Here's why. Because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas was actually one of Paul's traveling companions. Went all around the Roman Empire helping him preach the gospel and to start churches. He was probably a pastor. Another place it says that Demas was his co-worker, Paul says, and he deserted him. Think about that. Think about how much that, how painful that was to the Apostle Paul and how lonely uh, that uh, made him feel in his darkest hour. He deserted him because he loved the world rather than Jesus' appearing. If you remember last week, the passage right above this says that there's this crown of righteousness that Jesus is going to honor us with, all of us who have loved his appearing. Now this is, that's contrast with Demas here who loved the world. Paul had his eyes set on Jesus' appearing, as do all true believers. Demas had his eyes set on the things of this world. He was loving any and everything but Jesus. St. Augustine was a pastor, was a bishop, was an African pastor in the 4th century, and uh, he talked about sin being misplaced love. Right? So the way he talked about sin was looking for love in all the wrong places. So I'm going to show you what he says in his book called The Confessions, which really is probably one of the best things that's ever been written in the history of the world. And uh, the whole thing is this beautiful prayer to God. And he's talking to God here. Augustine says, he loves you too little, God, who loves anything together with you, which he loves not for your sake. So let me just... Let me just give you an example of what this means. He's not saying that you can't love a corona and a bomb breeze. But it's love for the world when you don't receive those things as a gift from God. You just, you're, you're loving those things above him or, or, or you're loving them without recognizing that they, all of that comes from his hand. Or you're loving those things more than him, such as drunkenness, or enjoying nature without recognizing it came from the Creator God, or worshiping nature, or whatever, or just escaping reality. Misplaced love leads to not caring for one another, giving up on one another, deserting one another. But when we recognize how good God has been to us in Jesus, when we recognize how patient, Gracious God is in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us, right? Then it moves us. It moves your heart to be long-suffering, patient, compassionate, caring for one another, extremely patient over some decades with one another. That's just what it looks like. And we have a great example here in our passage. Uh, Look at verse 11. Bring Mark with you. For he is useful to me in the ministry. 
Now, he's talking about a guy who is referred to as John Mark. Uh, he is mentioned in uh, at the book of Acts, chapter 13, when Paul set out on his first missionary uh, journey. Uh, he took John Mark with him. John Mark was one of his uh, companions. They got to the first stop, this island called Cyprus in the Mediterranean, and Paul was there preaching the good news of Jesus to the, to the, the officials and the, and the local government, right? And this magician uh, opposed their message, started causing all kinds of problems and disruptions with the preaching of the gospel, and Paul said, listen, you're a son of the devil, and cursed that dude, and he, he, became, he struck him blind. And John Mark was like, this is getting buck wild. I didn't sign up for this. I'm going back home. And he left, and he went back home. So when it was time to go again, set out on another journey, Paul said, I'm not taking him this time. I'm not taking John Mark because he's not ready. He's still green. He's not seasoned. He is not ready for this. He, he showed us that last time because he gave up and went back to his mom's house. But Paul didn't ever gave up on him. He, he was patient with him. He was kind to him. And now we're talking about like 20 years later. Paul said, it's time. Bring it. He's ready. He's grown. He has developed. He's repented. He's become a good pastor. And he... Uh, is useful to me in the ministry. And being a mature Christian, a seasoned Christian, means loving each other like that. Some 20-year love, some three-decade love. And you know what? We can't do that on our own. We can't do that on our own. Right? And that's why we need strength from God to do that. We need God's help to, 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 have, this, to have the type of love that Jesus has for us. We need Jesus' love to be at work in our lives, right? And that's why this next thing is so important, right? Look what it, we need divinity. We need divinity. And that's just a way of talking about God and what is divine. We need the real Jesus. The Bible says the real Jesus has eternally existed and came into this world and became a man. This is what the Bible teaches about Jesus. He's one person with two different natures. Divine nature and human nature. He's the God-man. Look at this passage in, in verse 16 through 18. At my first defense, Paul was on trial. No one stood by me. Everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord, Jesus. He stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, there's a band. Uh, I know many of you know them. Bad Company. Right? Uh, they, uh, they have some very creative uh, song titles. Uh, the band does. They got one uh, called Bad Company. Right? It's very creative. Um, Anyway, someone got that. Uh, the, the, there's, a, so there's a line in that song that goes like this. Rebel souls, deserters we are called. Now, that's bad company. Rebel souls, deserters. We are deserters. And this is exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. Everyone deserted him. That's what he says. At my first defense, 
No one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. So the context here, the historical context of this letter is that the Apostle Paul uh, was arrested unjustly, and he was on trial before the Roman Emperor Nero. And he says that the first time I stood up to give my defense, I was completely alone. All my companions, all my Christian brothers in the city of Rome, no one showed up. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? No one came to the Apostle, no one came to be with the Apostle Paul. He's like the greatest Christian to ever live, right? He, he's the, he wrote most of the New Testament, most of this second part of the Bible, and no one showed up for the man. He was all alone. And his response was, may it not be counted against them. That's incredible. All right, Father, forgive these brothers and sisters of mine for not coming and being at my side at my darkest moment. And see, that's real maturity. That is, that's what being seasoned looked like. How can we be like that? How can we be mature like that? We, divinity. We need Jesus' divinity at work in our lives. He says here, that the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul was on trial before the most powerful people in the world. And he says, the Lord was there strengthening me. My question is, how did Jesus get there? How did Jesus get, to, uh, get to up in Nero's uh, court courtroom uh, with Paul while he was on trial? Here's how that happened. He is God. He is able. He's here today. He's everywhere. This is what it means to be God. He showed up. And here's what this means. God is able to stand with you in your darkest moments. There's no place that he is not. There's no time and no situation and no difficulty uh, that he is not present. How did Paul know that Jesus was with him? How did he know that? All right, well, here's one way is he knew the Bible. Paul knew the Bible. Right, this is one of the most frequently repeated promises of God all throughout the Bible. Bible is, I will be with you. And our passage alludes to a story in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, that teaches us this. When it says, right here, wait, it's not right there. When he says that he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Right, he's talking about the book of Daniel. If you guys ever heard, remember that story about Daniel being in the lion's den. Daniel was a, was a Jewish man. The Babylonians came in, exiled them. He was in exile in Babylon. And uh, the, the government at the time decided to make an unjust law, which is you can only worship the government. And Daniel was like, nah, I'm not going to do that because the God that I serve is above the government. And I think I should probably listen to what he says. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And in him alone I should worship. So I, I think I need to obey and worship him. So he got arrested, and they took him, and they threw him to the lions. And the story tells us that God was with Daniel, and he shut the mouth of the lions through his angel. Right? That God did that. God was with Daniel uh, in the lion's den. And Jesus has promised us the same, that he promised, I will be with you always to the end of the age. 
Sometimes we feel his presence, don't we? Sometimes we know Jesus is with, it, with me. Other times we don't. Feels like he's abandoned us. Feels like uh, he, he's, he's not there. He's given up on us. My hunch is that most likely Paul sensed Jesus was with him somehow uh, in this moment, on this occasion. Right? And sometimes he does that, doesn't he? He gives us that extra special something, something to let us know, man, he is here. We, we know that he's, he's with us. And that he's standing with us. When Paul says that he was delivered from the lion's mouth, what that means is that the first time that he stood up to give his defense, and preach the gospel for Nero and all those people, they didn't execute him immediately. But he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. We, we just saw that last week. He said, listen, already my life is being poured out. Already my life is, being, is, a, sacri- is a sacrifice uh, for Christ. So I can imagine that there were times in that dark, jail cell with everybody abandoning him that he doubted whether Jesus was with him. We all struggle with that. But here's the deal. He never does. He is with us always to the end of the age. And a seasoned person, a mature person knows that, trusts that, banks on that, finds their hope in that, their contentment and their satisfaction in that. You know, uh, the reason that we're raising those, those vegetables up from seed is because we want the fruit, right? We want the, the, we want the tomatoes and the peppers and all those things. We want to enjoy the benefits of, of the fruit. Jesus isn't simply with us so that we can feel something, right? And it depends on your background and your church tradition, Right? Or what you think it means to, to be in the presence of God or the Holy Spirit or whatever. See, a lot of times I think we think that, that the Holy Spirit is with us or Jesus is with us just so we'll have an experience. Like the hair on our arms might stand up or we might sense his presence, right? Or, or something like that. But he is with us so that we might be mature, so that we might bear fruit in our lives. And this is, this is exactly what this passage says so that we might bear fruit for his heavenly kingdom. This passage says that Jesus was with Paul, he says, so that I might fully proclaim the word, so that everybody might hear about Jesus. And you've got to picture that, right? They're like, all right, Paul, what's your defense? And he's like, okay, here we go, all right? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he loves you and how he lived for you and how he died for you, how he's resurrected from the dead, and how he is Lord over all things, right? And how he died to save you. What a moment that probably was. He is with us so that we might, we might do the same. Jesus is with you so that you might go out from here and tell everybody that he loves them and that he's risen from the dead. Jesus is with you to give you strength to obey when it's really hard to obey. That's why he's with you. He's not with you so you just, whoo, Jesus is with me. No, he's with you so that you can obey him. You think that was easy for Paul to stand up to Nero and to tell him that he's not really Lord and God and that Jesus really is and that he can save him? He is with you to comfort you in the dark times, in the difficult times, in your suffering, in your loss, in your loneliness, 
your disappointment. Look at how this book ends in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. So this book ends where it begins. And that's with grace. All right? That's where the book, that's where all of Paul's letters begin. Grace, and the grace to you. And at the end, he says, grace be with you. Um, on that show, uh, Homestead Rescue, they always say, you know, when they're helping families out, uh, that they're there, they're helping this family because they are deserving family. These people deserve this help. And every time they say that, I kind of cringe a little bit. And here's why. Because the message of the Bible is not about what God has done for those who are deserving. The message of the Bible is not uh, about what God has done because we have done something to deserve what he does for us. No, it is about what he has done for those who should get what they deserve. And that is his justice and his judgment. Letting us go and, and letting us have our own way. But, but here's the deal. He doesn't do that. He gives us his grace instead. And here's his grace. It is completely undeserving on our behalf. We did nothing to merit it, nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and it is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he sent into this world to suffer and die for us at the cross, to be bodily and physically resurrected from the dead, and to be the world's true Lord, that he is ruling and he's reigning over all things. And he says here at the end, look what it says, grace be with you all. All right, that's more than Timothy, isn't it? He's talking about you. All right, this, this whole letter has been to me just a whole big old hug of God's grace for you. All right? And you, if you're a Christian here this morning, you just need to receive God's grace. You just need to be reminded that God has provided your biggest need. He sent Jesus to suffer and die for all your sins. You believe in him, you're not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. More than that, he is going to take care of you. He, you have a heavenly father because of the Lord Jesus. On top of that, he's given you companions in the local church. What a gift. And he's promised to be with you all your days, all throughout your life. And you just need to receive that here this morning. Right, if you're here and you've never received the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then you need to receive him this morning. You need to believe. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that he lived for you? Because you're a sinner. Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that he was buried for you? Do you believe that he rose from the dead for you? Today's the day to believe. And he promises that if you do that, you will be forgiven of all your sins. And he will come to be in your life and he will never let go of you. He will never leave you. And you just need to join this group of companions, newfound companions in this room uh, here this morning. And this is the word of God that we want to respond to.